Start this week, as usual, with a word of thanks to Sora Shimazaki at Pexels, who provided the photograph which adorns the cover art of the podcast. Let's get on with it. Hello and welcome to this special edition of the Financial Crime Weekly podcast where we look at a recent publication of the Department for Culture, Media and Sport which was actually a piece of qualitative research which was undertaken into the approach firms have taken in relation to cyber attacks. Now the findings are illustrative and in some sense certainly to me they were a bit eye-opening both in terms of the scale of the problem but also the attitude, the tone organisations have both before and after cyber attacks. And I certainly urge those with an interest, if you don't want to read the whole thing, then picking a couple of the case studies is illustrative of how firms deal with the issue, the very real issue, of the threat of cyber attacks. And I was kind of thinking as I was reading through this, kept quotation kept going through my mind, and it was... Those that don't remember the past are condemned to repeat it, the uh, uh, George Santayana uh, quotation. Anyway, I'll leave it at that. Now, the report sets down a number of research objectives, and they're listed at the beginning of it. First of all, to understand the level of existing cybersecurity before a breach, to determine the type of cyber attack to which the organization was subject understand how businesses and organizations act in the immediate, medium and long-term aftermaths of a breach, to investigate the impact upon business or organizations immediately and into the future, and how cybersecurity arrangements have changed in the wake of any cyber breach. This is an important topic, especially given the scale of cyber attacks and the costs associated with them. All the time I've been looking at financial crime, and certainly for the period of time during which I've launched this podcast and been doing the weekly updates on what's happening, cyber attacks have been a consistent theme of everything in relation to financial crime. It's a burgeoning area, it's a growth area in a world where some parts of the economy aren't doing particularly well. And I was just trawling through some old news stories that I have and it brought up some data specifically relating to financial services, which was published earlier this year. And it was a report on something that the Financial Conduct Authority had published, stating that in 2021, cyber attacks were up over 50% on the previous year. That is, they rose from 76 in 2020 to 116 in 2021, and that a fifth of the attacks involved some form of ransomware. Now, according to the FCA, and I've got a bit of an issue with some of the language that's used both in this report and what the FCA say, I'll say more about that in a second. According to the FCA, an incident may be material if, first of all, it results in a significant loss of data. Secondly, it results in the unavailability or control of IT systems. It, it affects a large number of customers and fourthly it results in unauthorized access to information systems but there's another thing that struck me as i was riding uh, uh, my way through all these uh, these different reports and so on and so forth that the threat of cyber attack really 
poses particular problems for lawyers when it comes to responding or helping clients get through the problems that are generated by cyber attacks. And one of the most obvious ways to help a client is to see what possibilities exist in the civil law because the criminal law has it sorted and there are regulatory bodies which oversee things like the general data protection regulation. So in addition to the elements which are associated with the loss, there is the wider impact on consumers of the products which are associated with that cyber attack. And while there is some redress, in a sense, through things like the General Data Protection Regulation offering compensation, the prospects of civil liability in this area are greatly limited. And that's because of a series of cases which have been handed down in the civil courts over the last 24 months, denying civil recourse to cyber attacks uh, which generate loss to an individual. Therefore, the absence of any meaningful civil response for a victim really might make institutions think, well, that's not a legal risk we need to manage. It's not a legal risk we need to worry about because the civil liability angle is closed and that we can manage almost budget for any other kind of liability. And there was a sense in which I wondered whether regulatory fines had been built into the operating budgets of some firms when it comes to responding to cyber attacks. But anyway, let's move back to this report. So the field work for the report, as I said, it was a qualitative uh, report. So it was interviews with people. The field work was conducted earlier this year, earlier in 2022, from the uh, 23rd of February to the 21st of March 2022. And they were interviews with employees for 10 organizations and the organizations tried to get a good cross-section of the forms of organizations businesses and so on which might be affected so uh, all of the organizations though had one thing in common and that is that they'd had some kind of cybersecurity breach over the last three or four years the interviews that were conducted were conducted with at least two employees namely someone obviously who was in a, an IT or cybersecurity role who dealt with the breach and the other was a member of staff who was directly impacted by it. So as I said they've all suffered some uh, kind of security attack but interestingly the organizations all varied which is understandable because the organizations ranged from businesses with 10, 25 employees to those with over 250, so large-scale PLCs and so on. So the organizations varied. And because of that, it's understandable that the level of IT resourcing and cybersecurity measures, measures and so on in place prior to their attack and in response to their attack were likely to vary greatly between organization to organization. In fact, I'd imagine much smaller organizations would tend to rely on the kind of mass market cybersecurity provided by all the known suppliers, and I don't need to name any. Now, there was some consensus which was welcome. So first there was a consensus that cybercrime is significant and a growing business risk, with cyber attacks increasing in both volume and technical sophistication. And it's good to see that there is a clear awareness of the risk, and that is certainly evident in the report, which does make some of the rest of the discussion a bit curious, given that if they have this awareness, and in some cases, as you'll see, the awareness was there from the top down, the management level was aware of it, 
and its importance, and therefore they were hoping to cascade the view through the corporation. Uh, there was knowledge of the fast-changing pace of the threat. The threat is, is significant, the different forms of cyber attack. There was a good general awareness of that as a whole, but you'd have to question whether anybody can realistically keep on top of that sort of thing without a specialist department there to ensure that they were keeping on top of it. Yes, I mean, you can outsource this kind of thing and they can keep up to date with the latest things, but all of that costs money. And the further down the scale you go to the smaller corporations, they may not be able to afford that level of cyber protection. So it might be understandable, therefore, why those sort of firms, particularly in light of this report, would be a target. I'd also say at that point that every criminal will react to an event. They will react to an event by, if one attempt fails, they'll try something different until they keep knocking, eventually the door falls in. Now, all participants did acknowledge the need for greater levels of vigilant and in, uh, vigilance and investment in cyber security and uh, uh, controls that might have been seen as appropriate a few years ago are now seen probably as less effective. And I think we can all understand what they're going about there because we've all had to sit through cyber security training and the threat changes and what we did maybe 10 years ago in cybersecurity training may not be viable now. There was, however, a difference between medium to large organizations and smaller organizations, medium to large organizations. So those with maybe 100 up to over 250 employees said they tended to have formal plans in place and budget allocated for further cybersecurity investment. Now, budget it's a broad term. You can have a good budget, you can have a stingy budget, but it's still a budget. And of course, it covers a multitude of sins, of course, and it will vary greatly. All I would suggest is that in a time where energy prices are rising, and certainly in the United Kingdom, businesses don't have the benefit of an energy price cap, although it feels as a consumer, we don't really get the benefit of an energy price cap either. But some things may be compromised. We go for a cheaper option of cybersecurity. We go for not the gold standard, but maybe the silver or the bronze standard. And that's understandable. And that may be something where, yes, there was a willingness to allocate budget, a willingness to invest in the latest cybersecurity, but that willingness may become less powerful as the costs to other parts of the business certainly increase. Uh, smaller organizations were more likely to say that they didn't really have the capacity for that kind of investment. And unsurprisingly, they cited uh, resource constraints. I can't see that changing imminently, it has to be said. Nevertheless, there was an uneven uh, response to perceived growing cyber risk. So even though they were as aware of it, there was an uneven response of the, the growth of the, the, uh, the, the, the cyber security risk. Broadly, the level of awareness was correlated, closely correlated to the size of the organization and the appreciation of the threat posed. Again, 
this mirrors the size of the corporation here. Cyber arrangements, cybersecurity arrangements and technology deployed varied enormously, which again is something that's easily understood. All participants did, however, indicate that their organization took cybersecurity seriously before the breach. Some characterized their arrangements as being on a par or better than their peers. But that's not really relevant, is it? As long as we're better than our peers, we're good or perceived to be good. It's not really about that, though, is it? It's about the risk that's posed to our business from the areas in which we operate, from the business in which we do, and so on and so forth. And that's the problem. It's not that our peers spend less than we do, so we are better. It's that the work we do has a satisfactory risk assessment related to it, and that therefore our cybersecurity risk assessment is appropriate for the risks of the business which we undertake. The majority felt that their organizations put more of an emphasis on technology than employees to stay secure. Now, I found this odd. Consistently, humans are identified as the weak link, either because the human is susceptible and they'll click on something or they'll open an email they shouldn't do, or because the human is a deliberate conscious actor. They will participate with the fraudster. And this has happened. This has happened in the banking context. They get an insider. The insider helps give them access to accounts. The fraudsters access the accounts. They clean the accounts out, or near as damn it. And they then offer a share of the spoils to the insider. So the weak link in any organization is, I think, a human being. So to put more emphasis on technology than employees, I think, is a bit of a narrow-minded, short-sighted strategy, maybe. And I think that was would be something that needs to be looked at. The corporations did feel, in light of that, though, that technology was a tool to help people do the right thing. Uh, reflecting the widespread notion that people and culture are more of a cybersecurity weak spot than the technology deployed at their organization. Again, I think, I think that's naive. Yes, I recognize that human beings are a weak spot, but actually technology can also have its weaknesses. I mean, it has been compromised before. There will be situations where it is compromised again. <clears throat> now, good things. There are. There's actually some good things in this. There's some good things in this report. Support and interest in cybersecurity from leadership teams, and this I think is a really good thing, um, within the respective organisations was high. Management recognising that this is important. Now this idea of setting tone from the top is one that's prevailed in financial services for some time, particularly in the fight against financial crime, that if you take some, for example, if you take money laundering seriously, there is a person at board level who is responsible for that, then it sets the tone from the top. And the idea is that that tone cascades through the business. So that's a good thing. Leadership, the report said, had grasped the importance of cybersecurity and was increasingly supportive of investing in it, uh, with some already treating it as a board level business problem. And that's good. That's far-sighted and I think that culturally that's a welcome notion that comes from this albeit small pool of research but that wasn't a universal sentiment and not all firms gave it that kind of high level board level of business uh, support so 
In some circumstances, there's almost a cultural shift is needed across all sectors of the economy where cyber poses a significant threat. How you do this? Well, there are agencies that can do it because what you do need is a centrally coordinated approach. And there are agencies like the National Cyber Security Center that can arrange this. And that did come in for some praise in the report, as you'll see in a second. Where breaches did occur, organizations were able to identify the cause and fix the deficiency in the defenses, sometimes using external organizations. And that's perhaps understandable. They can be incredibly reactive. They can come in quite quickly, uh, either independently or sometimes they, it can be done through cyber insurance, which has a role to play. Although I would suspect that many of the premiums for this kind of insurance will be outside what a smaller scale organization could uh, afford, uh, particularly where margins are tight and you want to look to par back costs if your costs or energy costs are increasing greatly. Uh, the Interesting stuff on the range of reactions to the breach, from high levels of stress to some describing it as a, at the other end of the scale, as a minor inconvenience, but that life goes on. It went on afterwards, and that therefore it was just a blip. Once fixed, interestingly, few organisations tried or were able accurately to quantify the financial impact of the breach, but all they did do was make broad estimates as to sales that were lost employee downtime and so on. All that sort of stuff is going to be a best guess because particularly in terms of lost sales because you're trying to hypothesize on what you would have sold had there not been an intervention. This is interesting. Only a small number implemented formal lessons learned discussions post-breach because it was felt that it wasn't needed because of the strengthened cybersecurity technology policy or staff training. I found this odd because I think there's a real value to come from a discussion within an organization, a particularly focused, a targeted seminar relating to a particular cyber breach because it falls outside any tedious, frankly tedious, mundane, awful <laughs> internal training, which is a persistent form of asynchronous offline training which can be uninspiring and people do it because they feel they have to do it because they get persistent reminders from HR saying we have to do the training because you've not ticked the box and the ludicrousness is that some of that training you can do I mean I've experienced it myself that you can do this training simply by ticking the boxes and if you don't score enough you're allowed to do it again with no consequences until you get 80% or 90% or whatever the pass rate happens to be. Interestingly, when you dive into some of these case studies, one business, now this is a big business, so it had over 250 employees. And this is, I suppose, understandable why a business that large would do it this way. But they said they had security training videos at least once a month before the breach, the same organization said in response to a cyber breach that occurred that they were trying to take people out of the picture to a degree and introduced automated phishing simulations and sandbox indicating that the staff videos were not particularly effective. And I actually think that's quite good. They shifted their staff 
training in a sense to more experiential assessment of circumstances which they might encounter away from these tedious videos. I do still think there is a case for saying that there should be a human seminar series relating to a particular cyber breach and the potential threat that it has to the business and ultimately the bottom line, the fact that the business could go under. But I've, I found that interesting that they shifted the, the focus away from these bland, awful corporate videos to a sandbox and automated phishing simulations, which I thought was quite interesting. And I'm sure if that were in financial services, a regulator would certainly be pleased to do that sort of thing. Now, the role of the government, what role can the government play? Well, the government's been big on this. They've, uh, in the last Queen's speech, they announced certain things. Of course, some of that's been spiked because of all the, well, the shambles that's happening in the UK at the moment. Some of that's been spiked. But what can the government do? Well, it's looking at legislation. That legislation is likely, likely to happen next year now. But there was positive feedback for government support through their work with the National Cybersecurity Centre, as I mentioned, and other bodies and especially information received from government agencies uh, on the positive impact on the general data protection regula regulation, the GDPR. Uh, government said that they like the common, uh, sorry, not governments, uh, market participants, the respondents to the survey said that they liked the common standard that the GDPR introduced. And they were impressed with the amount of information which is available to SMEs and uh, large enterprises and that's a good thing i mean you can't move for gdpr free content which is out there so nobody really should have an excuse for screwing up their gdpr compliance so that's quite interesting that's good praise what could government do more beyond what is being done already well raise awareness and education was one suggestion a cyber crime prevention campaign to raise awareness with awareness with companies and the wider public and I think there could be something valuable in that. Certainly, people would benefit from that, not just employees of corporations that might be affected by a cyber attack, but those who work and don't work in the sector, but are likely to be victims. And we've all seen these videos online of people pretending to be an internet service provider or pretending to be a bank or pretending to, the in, to be the inland revenue, wanting to give you a refund. They're all fraudulent. I think I've told the anecdote about my mother who was phoned up by an ISP and said, we need access to your computer because there's a problem with your internet. And my mother said, I don't have a computer. <laughs> so she was never going to be a victim to that. That said, some didn't feel that was necessary. They didn't feel that there needed to be wider public awareness. Frankly, I think any wider public awareness is good. There is an increasing threat out there from lone wolves, from organized crime, from disorganized crime, and from state-sponsored cyber attacks, which was raised by a couple of the respondents in the case studies. It's, a, it's not a widely known issue there, but state-sponsored cyber attacks, they're constantly knocking on the doors of uh, cybersecurity systems across the world. And there are a broad range of motivations, and it isn't always money that drives cyber criminals. It could just be the fact that they want to do it. They want to prove that they can do this thing. They can do this hacking. So it's not about the victim wallowing in piles of cash. It's just that the perpetrator simply wants to do it. 
One respondent said we need harsher punishments as a deterrent. I think this is just nonsense, really. I think it's a slightly naive suggestion. Harsher penalties don't necessarily result in a deterrent effect, especially when you're looking at cybercrime, where some of the actors are frequently remote from law enforcement anyway, because they either can't be identified or they're in an unfriendly jurisdiction, or because it's state-sponsored and no state is going to hand over even if it did admit to it, which it wouldn't, no, never going to hand over anybody who is involved in anything like this. But this I thought was an interesting one, and this is where I'll end it today. And that was one of the things you could do to improve on the levels of cyber awareness training, and that is you could have more regionally based centres providing cyber awareness training. Um, and one person called for a cross-expertise sort of panel, if you like, to deal with this, bringing together academics, government and business uh, as cybersecurity collaboration is hugely important. So there you go. That's all I wanted to do. I wanted to give my two pennies on that. I, was, I thought I'd talk for about 10 minutes. I've witted on for 25. There you go. Sound of my own voice. Lovely. Um, I wanted to give my views on that. I wanted to share that with you. I thought it was interesting and illustrative. If you work in cybersecurity, I think it's certainly worth gauging what other organisations say and have been saying about their own uh, their own experience of a cyber event, bringing down their organisation and their organisation's behaviour before and after the event and what they think can be done more. Right, that's it. You can subscribe, if you like, wherever you get your podcasts. I don't know where that is. But I'll be back on Sunday with the usual Financial Crime Weekly. So see you then. <laughs>